Revive, please join me in the reading of God's Word from 1 Timothy 3, 14-16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, revive. Um, I hope you remember this passage. I preached on this two weeks ago. And last week I started teaching you about the earlier portion of this chapter, which is really about the qualifications of the elder and uh, I hope this isn't confusing, but we're today, because of the celebration of our anniversary, I really wanted to kind of continue about how important it is that the church is the household of God in a message that I've entitled Celebrating Church. Um, next week, we'll pick up, go back up to the earlier portion, and we'll talk about all the different attributes that we should be looking for. And we are in a really, really important season. Um, this week, we're going to send out some instructions And I hope all of you, and we just took membership today, that includes all those of you who are new members, would you be prayerfully considering who fits these qualifications in our church and who could possibly be a candidate for um, elder, to be an elder. And that means it's someone that has these qualifications that you would willingly want to submit to and that God would give us. Okay, so this is the season we're in. But today let's focus on this, um, let's revisit this, these last few verses of chapter 3, um, and I want to, then let's, let's get at it because uh, I, I need, I'm supposed to be more, I'm supposed to be more concise today, okay, than I usually am, okay? Three parts. Part one, from truth to family to true humanity. So if you remember my message from last two weeks ago, what, what does church offer? It offers truth. It offers a household, which is family. And then that's how we're going to offer the world true humanity. That's part one. Part two, the influence and impact of the church on civil society. I want to give you some some kind of like some empirical evidence. There's a lot of of falsity, false information, and quite frankly, just lies that have become very, very common as quote-unquote conventional wisdom about the church. And I want to push some of that back, okay? And part three... I want to close by offering you the gospel through this, this little verse that says it back here. It says, vindicated by the Spirit. That Jesus was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. The church is also vindicated by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's part three. Vindicated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So part one. From truth to family to true humanity. So here's what it says. Um, here's how how the Apostle Paul describes, you know, what we're doing here, this thing called, we call church. We're one year into, from our launch service anniversary, we're in a season now where the government seems to have more power and control, saying, literally, you can do this and you can't do this. You, you know, you can have X number of people at your business or you can have X number of people inside your building. And it's also dictating that to the church. And oftentimes, if you read through a lot of the, of, you know, these mandates, the church is practically an afterthought. And it's not too surprising in our, in, in our county. We're, we're one of the most, you know, we're one of the most um, unchurched counties in all of America. 
And you can't really expect people who don't believe in Jesus to think that something important is happening when we do church. But I hope that you, if you believe in Jesus, you don't, you don't think the same thing. And so I, let me just give you a quick refresher. Here's how, how Paul puts it, all right? Um, you may, verse 16, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. That is, which is the church of the living God. And then this is what the church of the living God is, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And then he goes on to say, verse 6, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. And I want to take you through this. Just, it's just a quick little refresher essentially from what I preached two weeks ago, but I want to take you through this. What does the church offer? What does the church offer people in the world? The first thing, what does the church offer people in the world? And I want to say this, first and foremost, we're a pillar and buttress of the truth. The world is filled with ideologies and lies as our brother preached. And you know, I don't know if you, you, know, you recognize this. And I mean, I hope you, you recognize even this about yourself. We don't necessarily even know what is true and what's lies. And we regularly actually, if you're really honest with yourself, you actually prefer lies and truth. Just, I mean, just let's check a little simple example. Um, uh, sometimes my wife tells me that my, my belly is getting round, <laughs> okay? And, and then I tell her, I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no roundness. It, it all looks great to me. And then my wife goes, you are delusional. <laughs> and and this, is a, this is, by the way, this is a real little regular little conversation that happens in the Park household. And, um, and you know, I'm, I mean, I'm joking. If my wife says that to me, I know there's truth to it. But let me just tell you something. I don't actually really want to believe that because one, that just means, that means I have to get out and exercise and eat less junk food. And those are not things I, w- I really want to do. I don't really want to have a discipline of exercise. And I like my junk food. And the other thing is, you know, I want my wife to think I look really great. I don't want her thinking, telling me that I've got like round belly or something like this. And, um, but that's the truth. And I'm, this isn't the, the biggest stakes in the world, right? These days aren't large. I mean, come on. I'm a middle-aged man. It's just, it's going to happen, okay? And I'm not really, you know, a, a fit middle-aged man. And I don't really like being fit because that's, like, takes work. But, but, so we like, so we, I actually like the, what do you mean? You know, so I just, you know, I pretend to, you know, like, not know that she's telling me the truth and live inside what I actually want to believe but that's going on all the time. And actually, so I want to say to you today that, you know, on things where the stakes are much higher, what is a human being? What is your purpose? What is right and what's wrong? What is your destiny? Where did we come from? How does it, how can we live in such a way that human beings, because of what we are and who made us and where we're going, how we can flourish in who we actually are. You know, there's, there's tremendous lack of truth about these things in our society. And if there isn't some avenue, it's not just words and talk. Somebody can't just tell you this. You can't just read it in a book. I mean, God did give us a book. And it's the most important book of all time and ever will be. Yet, you know, you and I are, you're probably, you're, especially if you're a parent, you're finding this out now, that your kids will go to school, 
in front of a screen and they'll get content and you are probably finding out that they're not learning very much. And, you know, just, just, just today, when we were having brunch, I called my son and daughter, and uh, my son, he's got, you know, he's got an admixture. I mean, they're out in, he's out in Boston, and so we're far, it's really cool that we can have this conversation. But he's basically telling me, if the, cl the class that's uh, done remote, he says he just has a hard time just even just paying attention. Just has a hard time even just focusing. And you know what it takes for truth? Truth needs a household. Truth needs a family. Because you can't just get truth in your head. What you need is you need to see truth applied. You, see, you need to see truth alive. You need to see what it means to be a human being. And you know what that happens? It happens in the household. And you can see what truth looks like when someone applies it, when they obey it, when they have purpose in it, when they, have, when they live it joyfully, not simply because they have to, but because they want to. And they build this deep, deep into who they are, their identity, their work, their habits, the way they talk. You know, all this, we just had a series on wisdom. And one of the important things is how we talk. And we need to see this and feel this in the household. Now, I want to give you I want to give you a quote, and I hope it comes up. It's, it's a bit of a lengthy quote. And we're living in a time where this is more embattled and it's, it's more intense than perhaps at any other time in history. I really, that, that sounds, I, I, I even wonder, is that really, is, could that even be true? That truth today is more embattled and it's harder for the average individual person to live inside of truth, to even just recognize truth. I actually think that's true. And um, so I want to give you um, a quote. Now, this, where, did I, where did I get this? Um, there is a, there's a movie, which is a documentary. It's on Netflix right now. It's starting to get some real attention. And it's called The Social Dilemma. If, you have, if any of you have Netflix, I absolutely urge you to watch this. And um, it's quite frankly, it's really frightening. And yet I listened to this and listened to this, all the things that are being presented and I was thinking, oh my goodness, I, I don't see a hole in this. What they're presenting, I think, is actually true. And the truth is really quite dismal. And it's relevant to what I'm talking about here. So here's the, this, in this movie, what happens is these are former big shots in Silicon Valley. These are the people you know, who, who live and work around here. And who have invented the technologies that's completely changing the world. And what they're doing is they're saying this is producing a profound dilemma into our society. And one of the, just the, this person is not actually, he, he, the, the person I'm going to quote is uh, Robert McNamee. And he's an early investor into uh, Facebook. He's a venture capitalist. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's a person with a lot of money who starts companies. And then thus he makes more money, okay? Because some of these companies blow up and become some of the most important companies that change our lives. So this is something that Robert McNamee says in um, The Social Dilemma. Listen to this. The way to think about it, that is the situation we're in, is that there are 2.7 billion Truman shows. 2.7 billion shows. Now, just time out. If you guys have never seen that movie, he's referencing a movie that came out back, I think it was like 1999 or something like that. It's interesting because my, uh, you know, just just for fun, my, my family re-watched re this recently. I watched it when I was a young man, and in the Truman Show, here's the situation: it's about a man who was adopted by a television company when he's a baby, and then they formed a fake world 
and all these cameras are on him, and every, it's a TV show. Everybody watches this TV show, and this young man, this is a young man, his name is Truman, and he has a wife, and, and it's a fake wife, and he's got friends, and they're, they're like, they're fake. But he doesn't know it. He himself acts completely true, but he's in a totally fake world. And what Robert McNamee is saying is, all of us now, because of social media and because of our phones, our perception of the world is inside of our mind is something like the Truman Show. The way we see the world is something more and more increasingly distorted and fake. That's what he's saying. He goes on. Each person has their own reality with their own, and this really jarred me, with their own, listen to this, facts. Each person has their own facts. Over time, you have the false sense that everyone disagrees with you. Everyone disagrees with you because everyone in your news feed sounds just like you. And once you're in that state, it turns out that you're easily manipulated. The same way you'd be manipulated by a magician. The magician shows you a card trick and says, pick a card, any card. What you don't realize is they have set they have done a setup. So you pick the card they want you to pick. So there's a series of cards. You think you're just randomly picking a card, but they actually set it up so that you're picking the card they want you to pick. And that's how Facebook works. Facebook sits there and says, hey, you pick your friends. You pick the links that you follow, but that's all nonsense. Just like the magician, Facebook is in charge of your newsfeed. Hear what he's saying? And this isn't just Facebook. This is Google. This is Instagram. And if you spend a lot of time on social media, and a lot of us do, um, they always give you these recommendations, and you have this feed. And by the way, it's, it's, it's endless. You can just, you know, it just keeps going, going, going. And by the way, that's on purpose. And so they're giving you now a distorted reality, whether it's the news or whatever. And generally, they have this composite idea of who you are. And they're trying to just always give you something you like. And now, what you like is just only what you like. It's just like me. I like looking at my belly and saying, hey, I'm skinny. <laughs> but now, we're doing that with life. And brothers and sisters, if we're doing that with life, th this whole society is in deep, deep trouble. You and I, we're in trouble. And, I mean, you know, the, the political arena is just one place where we see this. Everybody says, I never, it's like these people out there, like there's a feed that I'm getting. These people out there must be wicked because don't they know the, the news that I'm reading? Well, they don't because they're in a Truman Show too. And so, how can we love our neighbors if we just judge them? We look at them through the lens of half-truths, through our false, false distortions of reality. And you know, we need more truth. We need a bigger truth. And one of the ways that we get that is from God. This is a truth that cannot be manipulated. This is God's truth. And God himself protects that truth. And then God himself helps you to get it. So it's not even just that if the pastor preaches faithfully, that's, that absolutely is a basic. But do you know that the Holy Spirit, if you will be in the household of God, 
that you will hear the real truth. You're not going to get some distorted Truman Show truth. You're going to get the real truth. And the Holy Spirit, it isn't just like, I've got, I've, I've got to try harder and I've got to get. The Holy, you know, there's so many times I, I thought, I, I just, as a preacher, sometimes I, I just watch people fall asleep when I preach, okay? Um, and, um, and you know, as a, uh, as, a, as a young man, do you know how many preachers I fell asleep on? I never get offended if somebody falls asleep on me because I'm just thinking like, just what goes around comes around. And so it's, it's like, I'm like, you know, when I was young, I just fell asleep on dudes all the time. But you know what's crazy? All the times when I didn't fall asleep. So there, there are sermons where, you know, it was like a 40-minute sermon and I was asleep for 30 minutes of it. <laughs> but I remember some of the things that was in the 10 minutes of it. And you know what that is? It's not because I was good. It's because the Holy Spirit made that truth stick and shape me. So it isn't even if you're good or if the preacher's good. It's just that God is good because he's in the building. He's in the household. And he makes the truth. He makes the church a buttress, a support, the foundation of truth and makes us a people of truth. So the people who now have truth, you know, here's some truth. So if you don't believe in Jesus and you're joining us today, here's some truths. Everybody's a sinner and everybody likes lies, but we can repent. And because everybody's a sinner, even if you're right, some, in some things you're wrong, and thus we should treat all our neighbors, even those who deeply disagree with us, with respect. And guess what? Even some of the people who are doing wicked things and believe in wicked things and we deeply disagree with them, they're still made in the image of God. That's the truth too. They still have infinite worth and dignity before God. So we must give them truth and we must live in the truth, which is to treat them with mercy and humility and kindness. Even if we deeply, deeply, even if we think they're wicked. How about that? Even if we think they're wicked, which some people are. So this is what it means to be truly human. This is the way Jesus came in the world. He who is God. So it says here, great indeed is the mystery of godliness. And I said this to you a couple weeks ago. I'm not that interested in being godly. But what I want to tell you is this. I want to give you a redefinition of godly. All of your life, you're going, I've got to make more money, or I've got to get ahead in my career, or I like that girl, I've got to get her to like me, or, or I've got to try to get my kids to behave. And these are all the things that we, we, we stress about. And being godly doesn't seem very interesting. But godly, you know what it means? That human beings remain the image of God. And that all human beings were intent to be godly, to be like God. Godly just means to be like God. And so if you really want to be more and more human, you need to be filled with truth and righteousness and justice and mercy and humility and offer people this way of life. This is humanity. This is true humanity. Not we're against them and let's fight them and let's hate them and let's judge them and let's condemn them and I'm better than them and who wants to listen to them or this spirit, this spirit which is really being more like Human beings more like the devil. Or 
I'm more powerful than them, so we can eat them. And that's being human beings more like animals. The bigger animals win. But God, who is the most powerful one, he came into the flesh, Jesus. He came to serve us. He came to give us truth, yet through grace and mercy. This is what it means when the church offers godliness. It's saying, be more human. And it takes a family. It takes, it takes, a, it takes a household. And if there's no household of God in a society, that society is completely lost. There's only humanity being the animal or humanity being the devil, but there's no humanity like God. That's the importance of the church. So let's go to part two. Okay, is that true? That's true. So this isn't directly from the Bible, but if it's from the Bible, I think it's absolutely true. And if it's true, I'm, I'm a person that really believes in looking at empirical evidence. I love science, okay? And as a young man, um, I was brought up in a devout Christian household and I was taught what you're supposed to believe. And I was taught the Bible and I was taught the Bible is right. But to me, I always thought if the Bible is right, there should be proof. There should be evidence. There should be power. What the Bible says should go out into the world and it should work. And you know what? It does. Now, does that mean it works like perfectly like, like a pill? You take this pill and boom. You're, it doesn't work like that because human beings are far too complex and we are sinful and we like our sin, right? So even inside the church, it doesn't work like, like magic, like a pill, but the church works. It does. Now, we live in a time where people think the church doesn't do much or whatever the church does is even bad. But if you actually look at, if you look at it from an, objective, empirical way and try to be fair about it and it's been seriously studied. It's been very, very seriously studied. And the people who look at it objectively, I mean, they're not even, some of them aren't even Christians. What, this, what I'm going to offer you, this conclusion, it's just, it's consistent. Again and again and again in history, this happens. So we're talking about this, this institution called the church, the household of God, that doesn't have lots of money, that we don't have political power, we can't make people do what, you know, what we believe in, and yet these are the effects. So let me, give you, let me give you the evidence. I'm going to give you a quote here again, and this is from David Campbell. And David Campbell is, he's a big shot, okay? He's a, let's see, I'll, I'll get, he's a John Cardinal O'Hara, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Notre Dame. And he co-wrote a book with a guy named, um, with a guy named Robert Putnam. Okay, so if you want to, here, here's Robert Putnam. Malkin Research Professor of Public Policy at Harvard University. Okay? So that's just a big mouthful of saying, these are two of the smartest, most accomplished scholars and researchers on public policy and political science as there are in the country. These are two of the best. They wrote, they did a lot of important research and the core of the research is this. What the, how does religion affect our country? So the name of the book is American Grace, How Religion Divides and Unites Us. It was published in 2012, so not too long ago. So at a conference where David Campbell is presenting and discussing this book, here's what he said. And listen to this. Here's what he said. We have a lot of evidence in our book that religious Americans are happier and for the most part, better citizens 
and neighbors than their secular counterparts. Let me say that again. We have a lot of evidence in our book that religious, in other words, the people go to church. And that's what they mean. They don't just mean a person, I believe in God, or even that I'm an evangelical Christian, or, you know, I'm a Catholic, or whatever it is. They mean people who practice their faith, who are active in church. That's what they mean. Are for the most part better citizens and neighbors than their more secular counterparts. And what do we mean by better citizens and neighbors? Well, they're more likely to volunteer. They're more likely to give money to charity. They're more likely to help out informal ways that their neighbors and those around them. And then listen to this next part. This part is the kicker. I want to emphasize that that's not just religious people giving to religious charities or volunteering for religious groups. The secular volunteering and the secular giving of folks who are religious. So listen to that. That means if you want to go help out the food pantry that has nothing to do with church. That means if you want to go, you know, work with the United Way. That means if you want to go, uh, you know, um, volunteer for, say, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. So the secular volunteering and the secular giving of folks who are religious is actually higher than folks who are secular. That's consistent. I, wrote, I read another book called um, Who Really Gives? And similar kind of scholar. And I remember this part that he says, that, which was really kind of blew my mind. What he did was he took, he, he said, he took like a town. I forget, I think it was like somewhere in South Dakota. It's like their largest city. And then he compared, it's like, this is one of the most church-going cities in America. And then he like compared it to like San Francisco, which is one of the least church-going cities in America. And then he says, okay, if you look at San Francisco folks, and then you look at, you know, this city's folks, he says on every metric, they give more time, they give more money, they give more of their talents. And then this is the one that really, that I remember. They literally donate more blood. They literally give more blood per person than the cities and the people who don't go to church. Now, of course, you know, neither of these was a Christian book, and they're saying, you know, they're, you know, this was like Catholic, you know, synagogue even. They were saying, of course, the vast majority of people who practice their faith, they go to church. There's some version of Christianity. For, you know, the majority of them are probably, you know, some form of, of Christian, Christianity. And so one of the things I just really want to offer you to you this, um, brothers and sisters, this is just a little piece of evidence that church works. We get the truth. It seems at the beginning, it's like bad news. It's like you're pretty sinful. You're very prideful. You're very self-righteous. But there's forgiveness. There's washing. There's the Holy Spirit to have you power. And you could become more human, more beautifully human, like God. That's what's offered. And people who come to church, and you know, we don't always come to church joyfully, a lot of the people who walk into church and maybe even joining us today in live stream, they limp into church. They come into church anxious and depressed and hurting and their humanity is breaking down and the darkness of their Truman Show is getting bigger and darker and stronger and harder. And yet, you know, you... I don't know if you felt it today. I felt this way. You know, um, 
I'm, a, I'm, I'm an extrovert, guys. Uh, I, I took this personality test. You know what it said that my extroversion is? <laughs> Out of 100, my extroversion was like 92. That means I love being around people. And this COVID season, I've been thinking lately, I'm like, how come I just feel kind of low a lot? And I think it's just, how about that right there? When I tell you I need you, I'm not kidding. I really, really need you. And when, I, when we drove our car up here like this, and then we parked, and then I heard the music, you know, just, just this life just started rising up inside of my heart. Did that happen for you? And for those of you who are on live stream, I hope you would know, it's not a little better if you show up. It's a lot better. <laughs> and um, so I hope you'll come. And we're going to try our, our, we're going to work our butts off so that you can all come. So let me close our message this way. It says that he, this passage closed this way. He, that is Jesus, manifested in the flesh. That means he became human. He was vindicated by the Spirit, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. So, what does it mean that he was vindicated by the Spirit? So here is how people think about what it means to be human. If you're not smart enough or, you know, good looking enough or you're not that special, or not, you know, what, what kind of good life do you have? But Jesus came and he was born dirt poor. His baby, his baby crib was a feeding trough. And his parents were so nobodies that they had, there was no room for them in the inn. And he grew up in a no-account town called Nazareth. And then, but this person was godliness incarnate. He was the most human person. And then when he lived the most human life, which means the most godly life, God in the flesh, the most flourishing, there's more power and joy and love and purpose in his heart than any of us ever have had, he lived that life. You know what the world said? It's like, you're stupid. You're bad. We don't want to hear your truth. We like our lies. And so you know what they did? They murdered him and they crushed him and put him up on a cross. And brothers and sisters, I want to say this to you. At your company, are you afraid? Are you afraid if people find out that you're a Christian? Are you nervous if you will come out of the closet on social media or whatever thing that you believe in Jesus, or that if you gladly will go out there and just do something that's just completely normal inside of our faith, that people will think you're being strange because the world is bullying us. The people who don't like the truths saying, we will reject you, we'll push you out. But here's the thing I want to tell you today, that the, the world needs church and the world needs us and needs a different kind of humanity. We won't fight with anger. You know how we'll fight them back? With courage and humility and generosity and forgiveness and love. And you know why that's what will be the case? That's the way Jesus did it. And when Jesus came to give us this kind of humanity and this kind of life, the world crushed him. But then you know what happened? Then the Holy Spirit vindicated him by raising him up from the dead so that the resurrection would have the last say. This is what it means by the vindicated by the Holy Spirit. And if we will be the church, if we will live inside of the resurrection, we will live inside of the life of Christ, the humanity of Christ that defeats the lies of the world, the, the, the bullying, the rejection, 
the ways that the world wants to say, you guys aren't important. You guys are haters. You guys believe in like superstitious and bad things. The world is going to say these things and they're all lies. But don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit will vindicate us. The Holy Spirit will vindicate us when he raises up with, like Jesus and when he gives us the power of the resurrection life in the here and now when we are gathered together in his name as the church. The church will go forth and we will go and be, I hope that you, some of you are already doing it. Some of you are being already, you're busy people. You're, some of you volunteer in the church and then outside the church, then you go do more things. It's, it, it amazes me, even in the COVID season. So Revive Church, don't stop. This is the Holy Spirit vindicating Jesus, the gospel. In us, through us, and with us, if we will live in faith, in trust, in obedience, the Holy Spirit will give you the power. The Holy Spirit will give you the truth. The Holy Spirit will give you the courage to go forward and bless our neighbors. So brothers and sisters, this is Revived Church. And I pray that that's the way you want it to be. I pray for this all the time. And that our church will last like more than 100 years. Maybe long after you and I have gone home to Jesus, this thing that we're doing here called Revive Church will be vindicated again and again and again by the Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus.